Welcome to the Sleep Charming Podcast, the podcast where I help you drift off for a good night's sleep or simply take a moment to relax. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review or a rating. So sit back, take a deep breath, and let me read you an old story. There were dreary walks when the boys marched two by two all dressed in the mortarboard caps that so impressed the widowed mothers. There were dismal half-holidays, when the weather was wet, when the spirit of evil temper and evil imagination had pent the boys to work its will on. There were unfair, dishonourable fights, miserable defeats and victories. There was bullying and being bullied. A coward boy Kipps particularly afflicted, until at last he was goaded to revolt by incessant persecution, and smote Kipps to tolerance with whirling fists. There were memories of sleeping three in a bed, of the dense, leathery smell of the schoolroom when one returned after ten minutes' play, of a playground of mud and incidental sharp flints, and there was much futile foul language. Our Sundays are our happiest days, was one of Woodrow's formulae for the inquiring parents, but Kipps was not called in evidence. They were, to him, terrible gaps of inanity. No work, no play, a drear expanse of time with the mystery of church twice, and plumbed off once in the middle. The afternoon was given up to furtive relaxations, among the torture chamber games with the less agreeable, weaker boys figured. It was from the difference between this day and common days that Kipps derived his first definite conceptions of the nature of God and heaven. His instinct was to evade any closer acquaintance as long as he could. The schoolwork varied according to the prevailing mood of Mr. Woodrow. Sometimes that was a despondent lethargy. Copybooks were distributed or sums were set or the great mystery of bookkeeping was declared in being, and beneath these superficial activities, lengthy conversations and interminable guessing games with marbles went on, while Mr. Woodrow sat inanimate at his desk, headless of school affairs, staring in front of him at unseen things. At times his face was utterly inane, at times it had an expression of stagnant amazement, as if he saw before his eyes with pitless clearness the dishonour and mischief of his being. At other times, the FSSC roused himself into action, and would stand up a wavering class and teach it, goading it with bitter mockery and blows through a chapter of Anne's first French course, or France and the French, or a dialogue about a traveller's washing, or the parts of an opera house. His own knowledge of French had been obtained years ago, another English private school, and he refreshed it by occasional weeks of loafing and a mean adventure in Dieppe. He would sometimes, in their lessons, hit upon some reminisce of these brighter days, and then he would laugh and repeat French phrases of an unfamiliar type. Among the commoner exercises he prescribed, the learning of long passages of poetry from a poetry book which he would delegate an elder boy to hear, and there was reading aloud from the Holy Bible, verse by verse, so that you counted the verses up to your turn, and then gave yourself to conversation, 
and sometimes one read from a cheap history of this land. They did, as Kipps reported, loads of catechism. Also, there was much learning of geographical names and lists. And sometimes Woodrow, in an outbreak of energy, would see these names were actually found on a map. And once, just once, there was a chemistry lesson, a lesson of indescribable excitement, glass things of the strangest shape, a smell like bad eggs, something bubbling in something, a smash and stench, and Mr. Woodrow saying quite distinctly. They thrashed it out in the dormitory afterwards, followed by the whole school being kept in with extraordinary severities for an hour. But intersped with the memories of this grey routine were certain patches of brilliant colour, the holidays, his holidays, which in spite of the feud between their parents, he spent as much as possible with Sid Pornick, the son of the irascible black-bearded haberdasher next door. They seemed to be memories of a different world. There were glorious days of mucking about along the beach, the siege of unresting Martello Towers, the incessant interest of the mystery and motion of windmills, the windy excursions with boarded feet, over the yielding shingle to Dungeness Lighthouse. Sid Pornick and he, far adrift from reality, smugglers and armed men from the moment they left Great Stone behind them, wanderings in the hedgeless reedy marsh, long excursions reaching even to the height, where the machine guns of the Empire are forever whirling and tapping, and to Ryan Winchelsea, perched like dream cities on their little hills, the sky in these memories is the blazing hemisphere of the marsh heavens in summer, or its wintry tumult of sky and sea. And there were wrecks, near Dimchurch, pitched high and blackened and rotting, where the ribs of a fishing smack flung aside, like an empty basket when the sea had devoured its crew. And for the background, in the place of Woodrow's mean, fretting rule, were his aunt's spare but friendly, quiet, amiable figure. For though she insisted repeating English church catechism every Sunday, she had an easy way over dinners that one wanted to take on board. And his uncle, corpulent and irascible, but sedentary and easily escaped, and freedom. The holidays were indeed very different from school. They were free, they were spacious, and though he never knew it in these words, they had an element of beauty. In his memory of his boyhood, they shone like strips of stained glass window in a dreary waste of scholastic wall. They grew brighter and brighter as they grew remoter. There came a time at last in moods when he could look back at them with a feeling akin to tears. The last of these windows was the brightest, and instead of the kaleidoscope effect of its predecessors, its glory was a single figure. For in the last of his holidays, before the Moloch of retail trade got hold of him, Kipps made his first tentative essay, at the mysterious shrine of love. Very tentative they were, for he had become a boy of subdued passions and potential rather than actual affectionateness. And the object of these first stirring of the great desire was no other than Anne Pornick the head of whose doll he and Sid had broken long ago, and rejoiced over long ago, in the days when he had yet to learn the meaning of a heart. 